All right. Welcome to what episode? Number six? This is five. No, this is six. This is six. Welcome to whatever episode this is. We're not even that far in and I'm losing track. <laughs> I published them and I'm not sure which we're on. Uh, do you want to explain what we're doing for this episode? We're looking at unknown victims. Mine was recently named and discovered her identity. Oh, wow. Has yours? No, we still do not know who this woman is. It's a long story with mine. So we're going to probably have you go first and through. Yeah. I think probably a bit shorter. Yeah, mine is quite a bit shorter. Mine was nothing for a good few decades. And then it was like, bam, bam, bam. Case closed. <laughs> I'm going to give background on the crime before I get into her life. This Jane Doe was found in a field in Huntington Beach. Her murder happened on March 13th, 1968. She had been sexually assaulted and murdered. They could pretty easily tell what happened. It's not like the guy was like a genius here. Like, you will never be able to tell my crime. No. He struck her in the face with either a punch or like a heavy instrument, sexually assaulted her, tossed her out of a truck and slit her throat. It was not like a, I'm a genius. Her body was quickly found. It was only a few hours after she had died by three young boys. Which, that's traumatizing. Why does it always seem like whenever people are found, it's by, like, young children? I I feel like that's a very, very common thing. I feel like it's because, like, when you're adults, you're dealing with jobs and stuff. When you're a kid, you're like, let's go foraging in the woods. And then there's a body. Yeah. Common sense tells me not to go wandering in the woods at night. Children are like, ooh, woods at night. This happened in 1968, and they got their first real big break in 2011. Jeez. Yeah. Hold on, math. You said 1968. Mm Mm-hmm. You said 2011. Mm Mm-hmm. 43 years later. Yep. 43 years later Mm -hmm. is when they got their first break in the case. Yep. Back then, DNA, genetic testing, it was the thing of legend, of myth. Maybe one day this will happen. So they were like, you know what? We might as well. We can't do anything with this now, but maybe they'll get use out of all this DNA in the future, which they did. So they took evidence, they collected all her clothes, they did a rape kit, all that sort of stuff. They didn't just say, ew, gross, mop it up, which was very normal at the time. In 2011, they took blood from the shirt she was wearing and it yielded a partial DNA profile. It wasn't like a huge thing like it is now, but it was enough. And they plugged it into the missing person's database. Her fingerprints were also entered into the state and FBI databases because they had no idea where she was from. So state, good guess, federal, even better guess. In 2011, the first big break besides the DNA was a witness who said the victim resembled an old acquaintance she remembered as Rosie. The woman in question was from New York and said that the woman worked at a bar in Long Beach, California. I couldn't find anyone who said exactly who this acquaintance witness was, but I believe they were like friends, maybe co-workers. That was the first big break that we can do this now. And thank you witness who said Long Beach. So that was all that we got until July, 2020 this year. We got the murderer's name 
and we got her identified. So both. We got both identified. So it wasn't just a matter of figuring out who she was. We also figured out who killed her. Yes. He can only be named as a suspect, but he's dead now. He died in 2015. So you said they were identified? Yeah. So Anita Lewis Patel was born March 9th, 1942. She was only 26 at the time of her disappearance and murder. She actually died five days after her 26th birthday. She was from Maine and she moved out to Southern California to make it in Hollywood. We know a few details about her disappearance. There's a lot of different reports going on. I'd like to believe the one source that said her parents received daily letters from her that detailed her whereabouts, but another one said the more realistic thing was that she would call occasionally, but one day she just stopped calling and the family quickly hired a private investigator because something was not right. And her family had no idea for all these years. They just knew she was missing. They didn't know that there was a Jane Doe body. They didn't know anything about her. They just knew her as a missing person. But they found her identity and they found out who her killer was all within the same time span. So backstory on him. In the 60s, 70s, 80s, the military was like, please just give us your DNA and your fingerprints. And this guy had been in the military, but he had been discharged for psychological issues. Psychological issues meant he just had extreme anger issues, like getting arrested, fighting with everyone, immature and impulsive. But they had his DNA on file when he died. And they were like, we can do that too? So they identified him as the killer, but since he's dead, they can never charge or convict him, which really sucks because her family deserves that. While she was an unidentified victim, she was buried in an unmarked grave in Newport Beach, California. But when she got identified, her family could finally bring her home back to Maine. And she was buried next to her mom and sister to finally get the rest she deserves. And I feel like that's a very nice close to things. Yeah. So we're going to move on to mine. Now, yours is kind of well-known, especially I think has been recently because, you know, finding who she was, being one of the oldest Jane Doe's to ever be identified. Mine is a bit more popular. <laughs> mine is the Eastdale woman. Have you heard the Eastdale woman? I've heard the name. Kind of one of the first things that a lot of people like to go to when you have unidentified victims, especially like unidentified victims who died in weird situations. Mm -hmm. People always want to be like, spy. I am people. You are people. I like to go, but what if, hear me out, spies. So this one could be a spy, and that makes me very happy, which is why I chose it. I love that. On November 29th, 1970, a father and his two daughters were walking in Isdalen Valley, which is in Bergen, Norway. Now, this place, Isdalen Valley, is nicknamed Death Valley because, one, in the medieval times, it was one of the places where a lot of people would commit suicide. And in modern times, there's a lot of hiking incidents because there's a lot of cliffs and people don't know what they're doing when they're hiking and so they fall off. So one of the daughters smells a kind of weird burnt smell and they end up finding this woman burned beyond like identification wedged between some rocks. She was in what is described as a boxer position. So basically her hands were kind of up in front of her face as if she was protecting her face in a fight, which is fairly common for burn victims. When police came to the scene, they realized something very weird, oh. which is that the front of her body was burnt beyond recognition. The back of her body was not at all, which makes it seem like whenever she was burnt, she was only burnt from the front. 
there's also a couple things that were interesting found at the crime scene. Now, I've been reading a whole bunch of different things and it all has the basic same things found at the crime scene. However, some things I read say that certain things are broken or ripped when others say that they were intact. Some add some things that were there. Some don't mention all the things that were there. But from the things that I've read that I'll have linked in the description, there were some jewelry, a watch that were beside the body on a rock, an umbrella, two plastic water bottles, nylon stockings, a purse, a matchbox, traces of burned paper littered around her. She was wearing blue rubber boots, a scarf, a woolen jumper, and they also found a fur hat with petrol on it. One of the weird things about it was that all the clothing that she was wearing and all the things that were nearby her that had labels, they were all removed. All the labels had been removed. Which, spies, a lot of spies do that. I wanted to be a spy, I like spies. Spy, spy, spy. When she was brought back, an autopsy had been done. In her stomach, they found 50 to 70 Fentima pills. Fentima pills are a type of sleeping pill. That's a foreign brand of sleeping pills. And they had not been fully absorbed, which is why they were able to figure that out, which means that she had died while they were still in her stomach. She Ooh. hadn't absorbed them before she had died. They also found high levels of carbon monoxide and she had still had smoke in her lungs, Jesus which means Christ. that she was alive when she was burnt. Yeah. They ruled it as being a suicide just because they couldn't find enough evidence to claim that it was a murder or an accident. Another thing to mention is that she also had a bruise on the right side of her neck that can't be explained. They think maybe if she had fallen off the cliff and she had hit her uh, neck, it, that might be the cause of it. They also determined that she had never been pregnant and therefore had never had a child. They weren't able to really find much about her. There were no labels, you know, they couldn't see what she looked like because her whole front of her body had been burnt. You couldn't, she, they couldn't tell. Until a couple weeks later, they find two suitcases. Now they were able to trace these two suitcases back to her because in the suitcases, there was a pair of sunglasses that had a fingerprint on them that matched her fingerprint. In the suitcases, they found a whole bunch of different things. In these two suitcases, they found the sunglasses with the fingerprint on them, clothes, wigs, a comb, a hairbrush, makeup with all the labels removed, a set of non-prescription glasses, some teaspoons, money from Germany, Norway, Belgium, Switzerland, and the UK, eczema cream with the label removed so they couldn't tell what the patient's name was nor who the doctor was, a notepad with what seemed to be a code in blue ink that they couldn't crack until a bit later, and a plastic bag from Oscar Rornvet's footwear store. So because they found this plastic bag from the shoe store that was a nearby shoe store, they were like, hey, let's go check out this shoe store. So they go to Oscar Rornvet's footwear store and they talk to the shopkeeper who was there. He described her as well-dressed, medium height. He said that she had a round face, brown eyes, brown hair, and spoke English with a bit of an accent. He remembered her so specifically because he said that she took a long time choosing her boots, longer than most people normally would. Now, because of this, the police were able to track her to St. Svitsen Hotel, where she used the name Fenella Lorch. And so once they realized this, then they looked at other hotels near the area and they used handwriting from like the sign-in sheets mm -hmm. to figure out other hotels that she had checked into. And they realized between these different hotels, they were able to find eight different aliases that she used. Jesus. They were able to interview people at these different hotels, and all the hotels had said that she moved rooms very often. In mm. fact, it said that at one hotel, she had asked to move rooms three times in the Jesus. times that she was there. And most of these places, it doesn't seem like she stayed at one place for longer than four days. She was just swapping hotel rooms. 
At these hotels, they also said she spoke languages including German and English. However, they also said that she had a bit of an accent. Almost everyone who met her said that she was well-dressed and kind of implying that she was also fairly attractive. Now, this woman left a strong impression on a woman named Alvid Rangness, who was 21 years old at the time and was a waitress at Hotel Neptune, which is one of the hotels that she stayed at. Rangness said, quote, My first impression of her was one of elegance and self-assuredness. She looked so fashionable. I wished to be able to mimic her style. In fact, I remember her winking at me. From my perspective, it felt as though she thought I had been staring a bit too much at her, end quote. When she checked into these hotels, something you have to remember is that pretty much the most common ID at the time was passports. This means that when she checked into these places, and all these places said that she checked in with her passport, that means she had at least eight different passports. What normal person would have eight passports? You know who has eight passports? Spies! The other thing that makes me also think spy. So this was in 1970, during the Cold War. And Norway, which is where this all took place, at the time was a place with a lot of Russian spies. After they looked at where she was staying, they looked back at that code in the suitcases. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that it wasn't really a code, but it was where she stayed and for how long. For example, one of the codes was 022028P, which is October 22nd through 28th, and she was in Paris. She's a spy. There's no other way about it. Well, this could be just shorthand for stuff. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, it, it could just be, hey, I was here at this time so I can remember when I was here and when I was there keeping track of things. And then stuff kind of went cold for a while. They weren't able to figure out who she was until 2016, when they ended up getting like her jaw sample. And what they realized is that she had very odd dental work. And a man named Giselle Bang said that the odd dental work was done in either Southern or Central Europe or even maybe Asia. However, he ended up dying while trying to research this stuff. So stuff kind of went cold there for a bit. And they thought that after he died, the teeth had been thrown away because they smelled. What the f However, they weren't thrown away. They were put into a hospital warehouse. In this warehouse, they also found her heart, her lungs, her spleen, her liver, and other tissue samples of her. They were able to do what's called an isotope test, which is determine where she grew up based on the water that she drank, which is kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool. I, I think, think that's cool. And after looking at that, they determined that she grew up in a place near the France and Germany border. And after doing a DNA test, they discovered that she was of European descent and possibly from North America. And then on May 27th, a black notice was sent out to Interpol to try to see if anyone could recognize her after doing a couple other police sketches based off of things. However, there has been no inf new information released to the public about it. So, since we don't know pretty much anything about this, unlike with yours, we're gonna go over what people think might have happened. And there's three big things that really could have happened. Three big reasons why she ended up dying. There's suicide, it was an accident, or there's murder. Yeah. So we're gonna go over each one and kind of say why it could or why it couldn't be that. So suicide, this is the official cause of her death. The reason why is because of the sleeping pills in her stomach. Why were there so many sleeping pills in her stomach? You can't, it's kind of hard to force someone to take sleeping pills. Yeah. At least that amount. Yeah. Because 50 is 70. That's a lot. That's so many. But that raises the question, why was she burnt? 
if she was gonna commit suicide, why'd she also burn herself? I feel like you would want to just kind of like, you know, take the pills and- That be it. Yeah. Next theory is that it was an accident. The accident theory is that she was making a bonfire and that she ended up falling into the flames and then jumping backwards and ended up falling off the cliff and landing in those rocks. And the reason why they think it may have happened is because they think that maybe she had hairspray. That she ended up accidentally dropping into the fire, creating an explosion, which I think is a bit more plausible than yeah. the suicide. However, no explosion was reported and no evidence of an explosion was found, from what I can see. Hmm. Then we get to the last one, which is murder. Murder. Now, the reason why I think it's murder is because I think there are things that rule out both suicide and an accident, which only leaves really one option. Yeah. What they noticed was that the jewelry and the watch was found on a rock nearby her, which couldn't say maybe suicide, but if it was an accident, why would she just put him down there? She falls and she's like, oh, I gotta take out my, my bracelet, my watch, <laughs> put it on the rock next to me. All right, now I'm good. Yeah. That's kind of weird. So that kind of rules out, at least for me, that it was not an accident. If it was a suicide, why would she burn herself? You know, you, ha- you took all these sleeping pills. Why wouldn't you just do that and just not burn yourself? There was also the strange bruise on her neck which could be attributed to her falling. But if I'm seeing this as not being an accident and not falling, why would that be there? Yeah. Also, it's very likely she was a spy. Yeah, that's a big contributing factor here. Like, it seems very, very likely that she was a spy. And if she was a spy, one, why would she commit suicide? I mean, I guess I could understand, like, you know, with spies and everything, it's a whole lot of thing. But the first thing that would go to my mind if a spy was killed was murder. Or at least some type of other person covering stuff up. Isabel woman was buried in February of 1971, and she was believed to be Catholic, so they had a Catholic funeral for her. So that is the story of the Eastdale woman, at least what we know so far. You never know what could come of things. Yeah. They're always trying to find new evidence, even if it has nothing to do with her. Like, I saw one article when looking stuff up about her, about they found some bag that was, like, somewhat in her general vicinity of where she was found. It was, like, a purse that was buried. But there was nothing in the purse they found to be able to identify to her. And they're like, it could have been around in the time when she, you know, ended up dying, but it could have been around way before that as well. Oh my god. Right now, they're really trying to grasp as straws, but I feel like once we get one really concrete piece of evidence to kind of be like, ooh, this is hers, that's, I think, when we're going to get our next big break and say, ooh, we know more things. Yes. I feel like you really need, like, one solid piece of evidence, and it would be like, wait, 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 wait. wait. We have something here. That's the third that you still a woman. Nice. So I think that's it for this episode then. I think so. Our next episode, we're going to be doing some other mysteries that aren't quite true crime related. They might be true crime related, but mainly going over things that don't deal with murder. Yeah. So get ready for that. And that's this episode. Anything to add? No, I don't think so. Awesome. Bye, everyone. Bye.